0: Father, as we have just sung, we do ask that you would be our strength, that you would be our song, that we would depend on you and look to you in every area of our lives, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning to you all, it's wonderful to see you. Again, a warm welcome if you are with us online at home. Uh, We continue, just as a reminder, our journey through our Practices of Love series, where we're going to take time each week and introduce a new spiritual practice. And in so doing, the goal there is to say, how does this traditional practice turn us outwards? How does it turn us towards our neighbor in love for them? And so uh, today we introduce the, the practice of meditation. And that's a way into this. Um, let's look again. If you have that white sheet you can turn here. Let's look at the three verses from Isaiah 28, 29, and or, sorry, tw- uh, 29, 30, and 31. I think this is the way in for us today. It says this He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Those three verses, I think, frame the way I want us to talk today about this theme of meditation, because I believe the Lord wants to strengthen our thinking. He wants to strengthen our minds today. And Isaiah gives us these beautiful, poetic lines. You've probably heard them many times. If you've been in church, this is uh, maybe, maybe if not top 10, at least a top 25. Like, this is a very well-known verse, the stuff that... Um, Paintings are made of that you would hang in your home. I mean, this is a beautiful poetic line. And yet, rarely, if ever, I think, do we read those lines and apply it to our minds. Uh, When we think of strength and power, we maybe think actual physical strength. Perhaps we think about the strength to overcome something, to overcome adversity or a difficulty in life. And yet, I think I want us to see the way that the Lord wants to strengthen and fortify our minds, That he wants to, in the same way he strengthens our bodies, he strengthens the way in which we think. I think most of us, when we think about thinking, we think of mind care as this kind of purgative reality. It's like we're purging our minds of anything. It's like reaching that pure zen-like state. And the closer we can get to nothingness, the better, there are entire industries that are built up around this that help you find that headspace. I am not quite sure that's what Isaiah has in mind or what our Lord has in mind. Um, He says, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and yet waiting for the Lord is meant to be active And intentional. There's a direction to this waiting. And that's part of what I want us to see. The way we renew our minds is active. You choose to take intentional and deliberate steps towards strengthening your thoughts and turning them towards. The Lord, and so that's the goal. That's the aim for the next few minutes. Why do we need to have this conversation at all? Why do we need to have our thoughts renewed? I think that's the problem that needs to be addressed. And if you've read ahead a little bit, you'll see this week in chapter three, Bennett in this book, he points out the two major problems with our thinking. The reason we need to strengthen our minds and turn our minds towards the Lord is because two reasons: we are um, uh, malicious in our thoughts and we are self-absorbed in our thoughts. So maliciousness and self-absorption are the ailments that we need to seek to cure. He presents them uh, self-absorbed first and then malicious. I want to take it the other way around. Let's start with malicious thoughts. Why not, right? Let's start with things malicious. Um, Why Why do I want to start here? Because actually, I want to spend most of our time on self-absorption because I think it's the bigger ailment that plagues us. Most of us I do not believe suffer from maliciousness towards our neighbor, in the sense of thinking evil thoughts of our neighbor. And I would add, and he adds as well, evil thoughts that are done in an intentional, deliberate and sustained way. That's maliciousness. It's not a passing angry thought or a passing, even evil thought. It's this sustained habit and way of being where we cultivate evil thoughts towards others. I'll give you a very practical example. Um, I drive cars like I'm a 98-year-old man who doesn't have the strength to push the pedal. Like, that's how I approach driving. I'm afraid to go over 45 miles an hour, and so I hang in the right lane. And yet, I made a mistake last week, and in a two-lane highway, I got in the left lane. The left lane is where normal people drive. Um, (laughs) but I, uh, I am not normal behind the wheel um, Someone behind me had to get somewhere quickly and so within a few seconds of being in the left lane driving the way I do I hear someone honking they're flashing their lights it's like 11 in the morning they're flashing their lights at me and so I quickly get back where I belong in the right lane they speed up next to me look over at me are yelling I assume not kind words by the veins in their neck and their general demeanor like this is not a, a great relationship that we're fostering um, and and so I kind of, you know, give them like a look back, like what? And, and off they go. They speed off. Um, it unraveled me a bit. I was a little disturbed that morning by this interaction, uh, but I have not spent the last week and a half cultivating deep-seated evil thoughts towards this person. I've pretty, I'm, pr- I'm pretty much over it. Not quite, but I'm, I'm getting there. Now, to be fair, they may have some malicious evil intent towards me. Like they may be at this moment wandering around North Atlanta looking for a 2010 Hyundai Elantra covered in Everton football club stickers saying, where, you know, where is that person? Um, that would be something more akin to this idea of maliciousness. It's not a passing thought. It's not this kind of um, intense burst of emotion. Here's the thing though, and this is what the chapter I think does really well for us to sit with one of the things that he points out is that we can allow such moments, these kind of small offenses, these little slights that we endure, something as small as road rage, and we have a way for them to settle into our way of life. And as it settles in, it becomes a way of being. And so for some of you, that might be something to sit with, to say, have evil thoughts, have those uh, those thoughts of evil towards a neighbor turned into something more solidified, more concrete and substantial in my life. Um, And you need to sit with that. I think for most of us, we don't live that way. For most of us, it's that second uh, ailment of our thinking that we need to address, which he calls self-absorption. Here's how he puts it on page 61. If you want to jot that page down, he, he puts it this way. He says, most of us probably don't think evilly about our neighbor. We don't think about killing her. We don't think about eradicating her name from the annals of history. We don't ponder spitting on her grave. Sure, thoughts like these may occasionally come to mind, but we don't entertain them. We don't dwell on them. We just brush them to the side and move on. No, for many of us, our problem is that we probably don't even think of our neighbor. We are too busy to think evilly of her. We are too busy to think of her at all because we're preoccupied thinking about ourselves. It's really helpful if we could use that word. It's insightful. It's hard to hear because I think we can all hear that line and see some truth to it. That resonates with us in some way. I don't think evilly of my neighbor because I don't honestly think about my neighbor at all. And so that's part of our thinking that we have to renew, that we have to turn towards Christ. And here's a question I would ask you to sit with today. When your thoughts wander, where do they wander off to? When you let your thoughts wander, where do they go? To stick with this car illustration, because we're already in it, um, your car has a way of wandering, doesn't it? Most of the time when we drive our car, we use our hands to direct it and steer it in a certain way. Um, And yet, if you were to take your hands off the wheel, as we say, a car has a mind of its own. And it would reveal to us where it naturally wants to go, And if we let our minds wander in a little bit, it's like taking our hands off the wheel and saying, maybe that's going to reveal in some ways where my mind naturally wants to go. I'm sure we can all think of examples of of this in our lives, ways in which especially it has wandered in self-absorbed ways. I'll give you one very silly example. I can to this day vividly, vividly remember being in high school, being in my bedroom at my parents' house, and turning on music as loud as I could get away with without someone yelling at me from another room, and imagining I was Dave Grohl, imagining I was the lead singer of the Foo Fighters, and having... Everyone adore me and love me the way Dave Grohl was adored and loved. Um, I didn't just love the music. I didn't just respect the music. I wanted to be Dave Grohl and everything that came along with that. And so I wouldn't just turn it on in the background. I would turn it on so I could turn my mind actively and deliberately towards this idea of being adored the way the Foo Fighters were adored. Because coming of age for me, that was about as good as it gets. Um, there it is. Um, In some ways, that is like a definition of self-absorbed thinking. Uh, I will let you know, I don't entertain that fantasy quite as much as I used to. I think 10 plus years of working as an Anglican priest does a a good job of distancing you from uh, a certain way of life. Uh, And yet, you, can all, you all have your examples. Don't look at me like that. You, you've all dreamt similar dreams. And yet, here's the thing. We all mature. We move into different seasons of life. And yet, as a, a person, as Chris McDaniel would say, who's in the prime of my decline, um, I, I love that line from Chris, and, and it feels more and more true of me, um, my desires may have changed. The things I dream about may have changed, but this is the key. They may not be any less self-absorbed. And that's what we have to wrestle with. That's what we have to contend with. Because nowadays, the questions I ask are, am I making enough money? Do I have enough savings for my kids to go to college? Why are braces so expensive? What books should I be reading? You know, on and on and on we could go. Um, All of these, still, whatever the question may be for you, wherever your mind goes, chances are, in some way, it has that sense of self-sufficiency Self-preservation, self-absorption, and we have to contend with that and and call it out as a sickness and say, my thinking is broken in this regard because it's always oriented back towards me. Whether it's paying braces for kids or being in the Foo Fighters, anything in between, it can still be self-consumed. It's almost animalistic. It's this like primal impulse towards self-preservation. It's like we sometimes are more like our dogs than we are creatures made in the image of God. And some of you like hate me for even saying that because you love your dogs. And um, I love my dog. Um, I have a dog. I grew up watching Homeward Bound. Like I'm not anti-dogs. But here's the thing. Your dog doesn't love you. You can email me later. But your dog doesn't love you. Your dog has trained you to think that it loves you. Really, your dog wants food. It's all your dog wants. Your dog wants food because it wants to survive. That's all it knows how to do. And it knows if it looks at you in a certain way, you will give it food or affection. But it's still self-preservation. It's that primal animal instinct to survive. And more than we care to admit, we live like our pets. Where we make choices, we have desires and thoughts that orient us towards pure self preservation or self gratification, self fulfillment. And so, what we have to do is renew our thinking to make room for other people. We have to make room. We're almost into Lent. Lent is just a few days away. Lent, for me, is fundamentally about making room. I think it's a really helpful way to think about it. If you are new to Lent or you've not walked through the Lenten season, um, you probably have certain assumptions about what lint is. Usually, the more painful it is, the better. Uh, I hear this even coming out of my own children. My children go to a Catholic day school, um, and instead of trading Pokemon cards, I think Catholic day school children like debate what they're gonna give up for Lent. And so my my kids have brought this home and you know we're having these conversations and they're like, you know, so and so they're gonna not sleep in their bed for all of Lent. They're just gonna <laughs> sleep on the floor. And then another kid's like, oh well, I'm gonna one up it. Like I won't even sleep with blankets. So I'm just gonna sleep on the floor with nothing. And they like keep one upping one another and the more painful the better. And yet what I said to them is I said, what if you think about Lent less about what you're giving up and more about the idea of creating room. What if Lent is like creating room, almost like a glass of water? And if that glass is filled to the very brink with water, there's no room for anything else to go into it. And part of what we have to do is pour some of the water out, namely ourselves, so that there's actually room for something else to go into it. And I think that's the idea of Lent. Partly, that's the idea of renewing our minds. Meditation on the life of God creates room. And that's the positive side to all of this not just the ailments that we suffer from but the book and christians throughout the centuries say the solution is to take on the practice of meditation i think again you hear the word meditation and you think zen you think empty headspace you think this kind of pure space and yet mindfulness which is another maybe way of thinking of meditation mindfulness needs a direction and we'll land here mindfulness needs a direction Joshua 1.8 says this. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. So there is a object of our meditation. We meditate on the words of the Lord. We meditate and turn intentionally towards Christ. I love how uh, Bennett puts it in this book on page 66 and 67. He says this, meditation is not a lack of thinking, but instead it's a form of thinking. We can understand meditation as taking consciousness by the hand, leading it somewhere to say, pay attention to this. So that's what I'm inviting you to do, to pay attention to your thoughts and then actively grab them by the hand, lead them towards Christ and say to your thoughts, pay attention to this. And what do we find as we do? That we are meant to love God and to love our neighbor. Galatians 5 says, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so if our mindfulness, if our meditation, even meditation on the word of God does not turn us towards our neighbor, we have failed to hear the word of God spoken to us. We've maybe heard a part of it. We've heard a part of this truth, but we have not received it fully into our lives if it doesn't result in love for our neighbor. To come full circle, Isaiah, where we began. Isaiah promises that those who wait on the Lord, those who pay attention to his ways, turn their thoughts on his kingdom. He says, they will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I think that's a good thing to remember because there's a fear in all of us that if I don't tend to my own self, if I don't tend to my needs, uh, I will run out. I will empty the tank and I'll have nothing left to give. And yet I wonder if we could turn that towards this love for others, that we shall run and not be weary. We shall walk and not faint as we serve, as we create room for others. That's the invitation before us and to believe that the Lord will give us power when we are faint. He will strengthen us even when we feel powerless. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. Would you please join me? by standing and we will together affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.